and any of you, the children that would like can uh, go to our children's worship or Sunday school. And uh, thank you, Kevin, for being here today and uh, leading us in our worship time. Appreciate Kevin very much. We spent several years together serving God, and uh, we convinced him to come and join us today as we begin a new series. We're um, beginning our series today on the book of Genesis highlights and turning points. We're not going to try to cover every single chapter or every single verse, but we do see a high importance for the book of Genesis. 103 references in the New Testament to the book of Genesis. And I think I read that every single author of the New Testament mentions Genesis with the exception of one. But it's a very foundational, fundamental book. And uh, how's the best way to approach this? Well, I think we should approach it reverently. It is the sacred text. Amen. It is the Word of God. There may be some things we don't understand or maybe haven't heard before or even some things that modern science would disagree with, but uh, I I read uh, recently of a a debate between uh, Dennis Prager. Some of you have heard of him, a Jewish scholar, very devoted Jew. And he was debating Harvard professor Alan Dershowitz, who is also Jewish and an atheist. And at the end of the debate, um, Dennis Prager said to Dershowitz, he said, I think I can sum up the basic difference between us when I say that Professor Dershowitz, the atheist, when he differs from the Bible, that and for, for the Jew, that's the Old Testament, uh, he thinks the Bible is wrong and he is right. When I differ from the Bible, the Old Testament, I think the Bible is right and I am wrong. And that's, the, that's approaching it reverently. So we... We don't always understand it, but we can pray for light, pray for guidance, but we do embrace it as the Word of God to us. So we approach it reverently. We also approach it literally. Uh, Jesus himself refers to Adam as a literal person. Noah and the flood... He refers to Abraham, Lot, Sodom and Gomorrah. And he refers to them as historical, literal events. So, it's good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for me. (laughs) And should be good enough for you. 
we will even take the individual words and terms seriously. Because 1 Corinthians 2.12, Paul says, We've not received the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit from God, that we may understand what God has freely given to us. 1 Corinthians 2.13, This is what we speak, not in the words taught by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit expressing spiritual truth in spiritual words. So the language is important, particularly the, uh, the original language underlying the English translation, which is the Hebrew in the Old Testament and Greek in the New. Thirdly, we'll approach Genesis not only reverently and literally, but practically. That is... How does it apply to us? What difference does it make? Has it helped me get through the week? Has it helped my marriage? How does it help me raise my children? Has it helped me financially? These are things that the Bible does comment on. And Genesis teaches us things. So let's read the first verse. Sublimely put, it reads, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Man, if we just embrace that, we could leave right now and say, Glory to God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Sometimes the children will ask, where did God come from? You say, God, where did everything else come from? Well, God made it. Well, where did God come from? God didn't come from anywhere. He was always here, everywhere, all the time. He was and is and ever shall be. That's God. It's difficult to grasp, but that's, that's the idea. When, when there was a beginning of things, heaven and earth... God was already there. Psalm 90 verse 2 puts it like this. Before the mountains were brought forth, or before you formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. From everlasting to everlasting. So as you read chapter 1 of Genesis, the primary subject here in chapter 1 seems to be God. Uh, I was just looking at the activity, uh, verse 1, in the beginning, God created. In verse 3, God said. In verse 4, God separated. In verse 5, God called. In verse 7, God made and God separated. In verse 8, God called. Verse 9, God said. Uh, You get the idea that God is at work here. He's the subject of this chapter. He is the one that 
is introduced to us. So I just want to take the first sermon on Genesis and talk about this. So we're introduced to God. That's an infinite subject. What do we learn about God from the first chapter of Genesis? We are for, where we are for the first time. Let's say you just never heard of anything the, about theology or the Bible. Where would you learn about God? And what would you learn? Say you're a blank slate, which some of us may be this morning. I don't know. But let's, let's approach it from that standpoint. What do you learn? Okay, number one. What is God like? God is a creator. That's the first thing. In the beginning, God created. The Hebrew word is bara. Out of nothing. This Hebrew verb is never used of what man makes. God's always the subject of bara. Because bara means out of nothing. Man can assimilate things. Like, for example, if you make a car in General Motors, you always have to begin with stuff. You got to have metal, you got to have rubber, you got to have plastics, you got to have all these things that you bring together. In other words, you form it, you don't create it. Truth is, we couldn't create a speck of earth, much less the whole universe. So it's never used of man, it's always used of God. It's important because when you go to pray, sometimes there's no hope. And you can still pray and ask God for things when there's no hope. Listen, God told Abraham and Sarah, who had been praying for a baby, and then they reached 100 years of age. That's where you say, there's not really any hope. I was looking, I tried to find this. Um, uh, is there any instance in human history, other than Abraham and Sarah, when a person that's 100 years of age had a baby? And I found zilch. Now, if y'all find one, I'd like to be the first to know. I mean, I wouldn't even mind having more children myself. You know, exactly. Thank you for that affirmation. But Romans 4 says, Abraham believed in him, he's 100 years old, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence that which does not exist. See, that's why we pray. There's no hope. So it says, so in hope he believed even when there was no hope. The God who can create out of nothing is a God you ought to get to know. Another difference, man can't create out of nothing only by things assembled. Another difference between man and God is man has to work to make something. 
I mean, you know, you fix your lawnmower, it may take you a day. He has to work to put things together. You ever get a bicycle or toy that it takes you two days to put it together? But listen to Psalm 33, 6. By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, the starry host by the breath of his mouth. He gathers the waters of the sea like jars, like into a jar, and puts the deep into a storehouse. So let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the people of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke, and it came to be. He simply commanded, and it stood firm. So we can't create it, and we can't command it. And God does both. So he's a creator. A second thing we learn about him is he's powerful. He made the heavens and the earth. And I just want to inject here, in our culture there's a, a, seems to be a lot of anxiety about the climate change and even alarm. May I put you at ease? The God who made the universe knows how to sustain it. The world is in His hands and the people within it. Let us learn to trust God. We need more Genesis 1 instead of more CNN or CBS or Fox. I I don't know. I, I don't want to get too far here. Astray. Listen to what uh, uh, it says in verse 16. This is just a little aside. In verse 16, God made the two great lights. The greater light to rule the day, that's the sun. The lesser light to rule the night, the moon. And notice this phrase, and the stars. Also the stars. One translation says, oh, and he also made the stars. It's like a, by the way, comment. (laughs) and by the way he also made the stars do you know how many stars there are just in our galaxy there's a hundred billion stars and two trillion galaxies he made the stars as an off as a parenthesis almost Billions, trillions of stars. It's kind of like if you were introducing a friend to another friend, you said, uh, yeah, he, uh, he uh, graduated last year and got married, and uh, he and his wife were expecting a child next year, and, and he cured cancer. <laughs> and it, What? <laughs> And he made the stars. Psalm 147.4 says, He determines the number of the stars. He gives all of them their names. They all have names. Great is our Lord, abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. Isaiah 40.26 We are instructed to lift our eyes on high and see 
Who created these? Who brings them out by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of His might? Because He's strong in power, not one is missing. He named them, numbered them, and preserved them. And Isaiah 40 verse 26 says, Lift up your eyes and look at these. Draw encouragement from that. So when you go outside after the service today, look at the sun. Who made that? Look at the moon. Look at the stars tonight. And draw encouragement from that. He numbers and names the stars. So who, how, why would he not care for us and uphold us? Robert uh, Morrison was a pastor in Dallas, still is. But he was going on a mission trip, he talks about in a sermon. He was going on a mission trip to Yugoslavia. And, uh, and as they were coming to the border, the driver said, uh, Pastor, you'll need your passport. And he realized, as he was feeling around for it, he realized he didn't have his passport. And the driver pulled over. He said, I... I don't know if we should try to go through because the last pastor that didn't have his passport went to jail for six months. But he felt very strongly God wanted him here and so he got out of the car, looked up at the stars and it was like God whispered to him, I hold these stars in place and I can take care of you. So they drove on, went right through, had a successful mission trip and was preserved all the way home. This is how we're to look at creation. We are to find in it instruction for our hearts and our lives without any alarms. Number three, God is sovereign. Who decides creation? I mean... Who decides whether there's anything? He, and he also named everything. Who decides that? Who decides the distinction between light and dark, land and sea, man and animal, male and female, heaven and earth? Who decides that? Who decides who your parents are going to be? Acts 17 even says that he determines not only the times at which we would live, but the boundaries of our habitation where you would live. That is explained only by one word, sovereignty. Sovereignty means God has the right and the might to do a thing. And, and this is His authority in the earth. Number four, God is good. We find that in Genesis chapter 1. Now, if you look at these first three, God is creator, God is powerful, God is sovereign. You know, God could have been all three of those and be <clears throat> mean. But when we find here that when God would make something, He would look at it, like in verse 10, and God saw it was good. Or in verse 12, and God saw it was good. Or in verse 
21, and God saw it was good. In verse 25, God saw it was good. Everything God made, he pronounced it, he said, oh, that's good. God is good. And you know when he made Adam and Eve, put, brought them together in marriage? Verse 31, God saw everything he had made. And behold, it was all very good. It's all very good. You know what? You don't get to bad until chapter 3, when Adam and Eve listened to Satan and disobeyed God and chose to sin and follow Satan's words rather than God's. Their sin and death and thorns and pain and dying and suffering came into the world. Everything God made was very good. Let's be careful about blaming God for the pain and suffering because you know one of the number one objections to the existence of God. How can there be a God, a good God, if there's so much pain and evil? Well, don't blame God for something that you brought into the world. that originated with Adam and Eve. Ecclesiastes 3.11 He has made everything beautiful in its time. But Ecclesiastes goes on to say in Ecclesiastes 7.29 God made man upright but they sought out many schemes. All kinds of shenanigans. So he's creator, he's powerful, he's sovereign, he's good. Number five, he's judge. He's the one who looks, evaluates, and says, that's good. He didn't wait till he made Adam and say, Adam, what do you think? Is that good? No, God's the judge on what is good. And number six, <clears throat> God, in Genesis chapter 1, is triune. That is, he is a trinity, a plurality in unity. Uh, let me show you, go back to verse 1 again. Verse 1 in Hebrew is strange grammar. And I want to, I want to read it to you literally and grammatically as it's given to us here. In the beginning, God, that's the Hebrew word for God, Elohim. Uh, any Hebrew word that ends with im is plural. It's literally God's. This is the same Hebrew word used in Exodus 20 about the Ten Commandments. They shall have no other Elohim, God's, before me. So it's plural. But... It's, then it says, literally, in the beginning, God, Elohim, plural, He created. The verb created is singular. That's weird. Because you always match the verb and the subject. If one is plural, the other is plural. John and Jane 
came into the room and he ate lunch. That, that, that doesn't, that's bad grammar, but it's good theology. You see the same thing down in verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image. Who is us? After our likeness, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea. And so on. Then verse 27. So God, Elohim, created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. In Genesis 1, 26 and 7, God is plural. Let us make man in our image after our, plural, likeness. Verse 27, so God created man, singular, in his, that's singular, his own image. Not their image, but his image. So who is he referring to here? Who's participating in creation? Co-creator. Well, some have said, uh, well, that's angels. Anybody believe it's angels? No. Angels um, are our servants, Hebrews 1.14. Are not all the angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who inherit salvation? They're not our creators. They're our servants. Amen? They serve us. They don't create us. But listen to Isaiah 44.24. Put this verse up. Isaiah 44, 24. Thus says the Lord your Redeemer who formed you from the womb. I am the Lord who made all things, who alone stretched out the heavens and spread out the earth by myself. I didn't have any help. So how can God say, let us make man? It's like he deliberated within himself when, it, when he made man to make him spirit, soul, and body. Father, wife, child. A triunity, but one flesh. One together. So in the New Testament, we have no problem when we come across John 1, 1 to 3. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, speaking of Christ, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing is made that has been made. He made everything. Without Him nothing was made. If it's been made, it wasn't made without Him. Colossians 1.16 For by Him all things are created in heaven and earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions, rulers or authorities... All things were created through Him and for Him. So when it says, let us, He's referring to Christ. The Father and the Son, by the Spirit, created all things and man in their image. Or in His image. He's triune. 
And then finally, uh, we would say that God is Father. Because at the end of six days of creation, the last thing that's created here is man, Adam and Eve. And what is man called? In Luke 3, Luke traces Mary's genealogy back through King David in the Old Testament as the ancestors from David to his father Jesse. He says, Luke 3.32, son of David, the son of Jesse, who was the son of Obed, who was the son of Boaz, and so on. All the way back to Noah, who was the son of Lamech, through Seth in Genesis, who was the son of Seth, who was the son of Adam, who was the son of God. Adam was a son of God. God made Adam in his image through Christ and says, let us make man in our image, and he made a son. God wants sons, children. God was always a father because Jesus was always the son by the Spirit. He was a father before he was a creator. And that union and communion between the father and the son, that delight and enjoyment they have with one another is love by the Holy Spirit. And he wants others to join that. When you have a wonderful event, a marriage, a celebration, an anniversary, what do you want to do? You want to invite people to celebrate with you. Yesterday we had uh, our youngest grandchild, granddaughter, uh, Ruthie's first birthday. So it was a birthday party, and she's one, so she couldn't figure out what was going on. They put down a cake with a candle on it, and she's staring at it, staring at us like, you know, uh, you guys are kind of losing it here, it looks to me like, but I'm trusting you. And, uh, but what's the family doing? They're celebrating her. But they want people to join the celebration. See, that's what that's that's the image of God in us. We something wonderful is here. Please come and enjoy it with us. Christianity is us participating in the love between the Father and the Son they've had for eternity, and we get to enjoy it by the whole same Holy Spirit when we become a Christian. We're made in His image. He's our Father. God is eternal Father. Amen. Now there's a number eight, which is holy. God is holy, but uh, we'll save that one for next time. It's based on God made the Sabbath and blessed it and made it holy. But we will close here this morning. Um, and pick up with Genesis next Sunday with the creation of man.
the dignity of man next Sunday morning.